Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, June 27th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show with the voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, your host, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year survivor of breast cancer, young adult survivor, that is, of course. And we're your hosts, as Matthew said, for the Stupid Cancer Show. All right, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight, we've got a great show. Stay with us as we talk to Julie Clark, the founder of Baby Einstein and a young adult breast cancer survivor. She's also the author of... You are the best medicine. And in our Survivor Spotlight, you know where you love her. Amanda Freeman, our broadcast production associate here at the Stupid Cancer Show. She's a young adult survivor of sarcoma. As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day. And we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. Because... It's not okay. Not okay. Not okay. That 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, my friends. Hello, Hello, Lisa. Hello, Amanda. Hi. Welcome to yet another fun and exciting romp through the heads on my stupid cancer show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast all the way live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during every broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And I would like to welcome in studio tonight, as always, Mr. James Manning. What's up? How you doing, buddy? Wow. That was hardcore, James. I never heard anything like that come from you. James' personality is coming out every time he Whoa. shows up. Yes. And we are welcoming for the first time... Uh, one of our fabulous interns for the season, the lovely Grace McDermott. Hello. Hello, Grace. <laughs> that was that was kind of like James, demure. James, and show coy. her how to use a microphone I like a real person. Hello. Oh, much better. There you are. How you doing? Good. Now, Grace comes to us by the way of our illustrious Kenneth Kane, 
our VP operations. Not Kenny, in the house tonight. No, Grace is a friend of a friend of Kenny's. You make him sound so professional. He's Kenneth Kenneth J. Kane. <laughs> Any friend of a friend of Kenny's is a friend of ours. Or a friend of a friend of ours. Yes. Good point. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like you, but you're a friend of a friend, yeah. so I oh, have thank to. Thank you. Anyway, so Grace, um, how have you been enjoying uh, your first couple of weeks? When did you start? Enjoy, enjoying being the uh, operative word. It's been like four weeks now. I it's think. been about a month. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. How have you been enjoying your uh, your time with us so far? It's been terrible. The whole, no, I'm just That's the right answer. <laughs> we don't want good people going on. We're gonna we're gonna send you out into the world not prepared for anything. She doesn't care about buttering up the boss. That's refreshing. No. no it's, it's been good. awful. I hate it. It's good stuff. You're a tyrant. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. We even we went to Google. Best best thing I've ever done in my yeah, life. Yeah, find like me another Disney. organization where their interns get to go to Google, unless they're at Google already. Do yeah. tell. What's the Google story? We have a friend. Uh, of a friend of a friend. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, Christine Van Valen is a young adult cancer survivor. Van Halen? Van Valen. Okay. No, not. Sorry. Yes, I'm going to queue up Eddie Van Halen's jump now. Christine Van Valen is a friend of the organization's young adult cancer survivor, attended the OMG Cancer Summit, uh, this uh, March, April? Well, I forget when it was. I think it was in April. April, okay. <laughs> and uh, came up to me afterwards, said I worked for Google. Um, she knew I had already been working, advising Google with their health uh, initiatives. This is all coming back to me now. Yeah. Yep. So uh, we got friendly online. Kenny got organized with them. We set up a time and a date to go over there to discuss how we can work together on some local projects and some fun stuff. Not with Google, like the company, but Google employees. Um, often get together with certain boutique projects that they get together and fun stuff to do that they get paid to do by their job. It's called the 20% program or something where if they do 20% of their job on off-Google programs, they still get paid for it as long as they have something to show for it. So, yes, we took our illustrious new intern, Grace McDermott, to Google headquarters on 9th Avenue and uh, 17th Street or 16th Street here in Manhattan, and... uh, you were pretty wowed up, weren't you? Yeah. Did they have, like, cool things like ping-pong yeah. tables and, like, all kinds of wild video games and cool they, furniture? They have an ice and, like, cream truck. Is yeah. like, I was going to say, like, a lot of play things. And, no, they have yeah. an ice cream truck. Like a good humor man. In the office. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay, now I'm really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> the cafeteria was, like, the spectacle of a lifetime. Yes. Seriously. The wow. And it's all free. Yeah. It's all free. <laughs> you know, and it's I, all like organic and vegan and healthy yeah. too. Like well, you can't even eat it if you wanted to. Yeah, you'd yeah. get like the the nonpareils with <laughs> yeah. the with the whipped cream. But they know. had ice cream. Yeah, yeah. They, they did have ice cream. Was it like tofu, tofuti, frozen tofuti? It was or was actually it? mashed cauliflower frozen. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that frozen kale again. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, curse you, kale. <laughs> Look, I think we dream big. I fully expect that within a month's time, I want to see the I2Y logo integrated with the Google logo on the homepage. Why can't we have that? I'm trying to think like of some neologism where that would work, like the I Google Y. Matthew, if anybody can come up with it, you can. I think I just did the I Google yeah, Y. Yeah, that's right. Get right in there. That was the worst thing I've ever done, right there. Come on. Okay. We, we need to make that happen. But in all seriousness, like I'm, she's very talented. She's very professional. She's mature for her age. Really and she, good looking. And all things that all things that no, and she's damn cute. Not things, that I care about that, but all, like she she does a good job. All she, things that go against the grain of I two I, except for the cuteness. Yeah, we, we we do have cute people working around here. Have we ever hired anybody who is no. not mature for their age? Um, look, yes, everybody. We can't mention them. On the oh air. wait, I forgot about that. We can't mention this. It's I that know. movie with um 
Oh, that M. Night Shyamalan movie where like they, they live in the woods and it's like you think it's 1800, <laughs> right. but it's really like 21st century. And William Hurt's like, it is that which we do not speak. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there you go. I love that movie. Yes, exactly. Well, but so by the and large. The question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. By and large, you know, everybody that works for us has had cancer, so they've yes. had to grow up quickly. Yeah, Grace, what's your excuse? I'm a vegetarian. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't had cancer. No, that's fine. That's good. But that's a yeah. good thing. Yes. We keep that's forgetting a that's thing. a good thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's actually a very good thing. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's an yeah. awesome thing, and we welcome you with open arms regardless. You know, you Thank can you. tilt the mic down as well instead of like, you're like the, uh, a whack-a-mole. Like I like pretend that I'm taller than James, help her with that. Yeah, that's okay. Come on. Come it, on, she's James. an intern, you know. Put, she's put, learning. Put the same muscle into it as you did with your WhatsApp, James. <laughs> How many interns does it take <laughs> to lower the microphone? Very nice. I keep Very forgetting nice. how this. So there's been some big news. Well, this let me week. let me let me do my my cheap shot news on, with Chicago. Oh. I got to give a shout out to I to Watch Chicago tonight for an amazing two day adventure that Kenny and I had with Johnny Immerman of Immerman Angels, the one on one peer matching gold standard for young adult cancer. At AmermanAngels.org, Kenny and I went out for our inaugural Chicagoland Stupid Cancer Boot Camp. We had over 80 people show up. It was extraordinary. Very powerful. Two and a half hours straight of nonstop energy, passion, stories, connection, community. Really good stuff, which was preceded, preceded by a virtual Grand Rounds that Kenny and I held at Northwestern University's Oncofertility Consortium, well, we spoke to several hundred doctors via, like, a webcam. That's neat. Which was super neat. Um, and uh, it was moderated by Dr. Kate Timmerman, who runs their clinic, who is uh, the manager of the Young Facility Consortium. And uh, it was fantastic to get questions from residents and interns and fellows who are our age, 20s and 30s, want to know how the young adult movement works, what the mechanics are, how advocates can feel like they belong within the conversations of doctors and that we're part of curriculum, even though we're not part of curriculum. Powerful stuff. And then the next day on Friday, the Cancer Legal Resource Center, which is the gold standard of ways to uh, sort of understand your legal rights or get free lawyers to help you with your case or suing insurance companies or whatever, um, gave their one of their uh, conferences in Chicago, big conference, two or three other people came, and it was great to see all of our old friends there, um, just good networking, and out of this whole weekend came this new potential for a ready for this Uh-oh. a young adult steering committee nice. that would be responsible for fundraising and social planning for I two Y and Immigrant Angels in Chicago year round. Oh wow, fabulous! So I'm very excited that this has a possibility to kick off to just continue to homogenize what Johnny and I do every day. We're we're like peas in a pod. So, and speaking of which, is that where you got your T-shirt, your fabulous T-shirt that says "Bald Guys Rock"? Um, no, but I've John. First of all, Johnny only wears Immigrant Angels T-shirts. Right. I've stayed over his house. His closet is nothing but 500 black Immigrant Angels medium T-shirts. What I don't understand is though, it's very cold or can be in Chicago during the winter, and he just wears that T-shirt all year round. I think he has an Immigrant hoodie also. Okay. <laughs> no sweaters Maybe though. Immigrant well, scarf. I mean, he's got to be, you know. Yeah. That's tough stuff in yeah. that windy city. No, but I got this shirt in December of 2007. Okay. Someone just gave it to me. I was like, all right, Does the is the shirt, like, full of syphilis? No. Okay, I'll wash it, <laughs> I'll wear it, I'll take the shirt. So, yes, bald guys do rock. You and Johnny. And speaking of that, as I just close out this before we get to the big news, while I was in Chicago, I was in a photo op 
it was Eric Charsky who was on this radio show, Colon Cancer, Young Less Survivor. Sure, please. Myself, uh, Joe Schneider, who will be on the show next season, but Joe Schneider, also Young Adult Survivor, bald, meet Johnny, and this other young adult guy named Sam. If you scroll down my wall on Facebook, there'll be like five bald guys in a picture, but I have the most hair. Whoa. And you know that it's a bald shot when I have the most hair. So I, I thought you were going to say being in Chicago, you had a photo op with Oprah. That would have been good. Uh, I'm not so interested in her anymore. Well, what are you saying on that on the air for? What? Now, what if Oprah were listening and she heard you say you're not so interested in her? Oprah? Every, well, of course we're interested in Oprah. We love Oprah. Oh, we Matthew, love Oprah. Okay. Do I have to reach over the table and smack you? I mean, like, I don't watch Channel 7 because she's not on it anymore. Uh, it... Okay, well, you can, you can watch OWN. It doesn't mean that you have to say that you're not so... But that's like Channel 9 billion. <laughs> it's one of the Discovery. It took no, over I'm, a Discovery right, house. I love you, Oprah. Please have us on your shows. <laughs> and Gail King, too. That should, that should do it. Well, the call will come in any day now. Gail King and Rosie O'Donnell, you should all be uh, begging us to come on your programs. Well, Rosie O'Donnell has her own radio that's show. That's my over media at strategy right yeah. there. And Rosie O'Donnell's brother is one of the New York State legislators right. who contributed to, Lisa? The passage of same-sex marriage in New York State. <laughs> big news. Very really big, news. big news. Yes. This has been a, uh, a, big, a big week for the Empire State. The Empire State. Yes, which was lit up in rainbow colors, by the way. It was. Last it night. was. That's yeah, awesome. the, the night I think I think it was the night it passed. That's fantastic. That yeah. I'm just overwhelmingly surprised that New York passed this before California. Yeah. Well, Iowa. I, I think then, that's the gayest state. Well, what about Iowa passing it before New York? Well, Iowa has like four people in it, <laughs> three of whom are gay. So, <laughs> I love you, Iowa. Don't. We we want to watch Iowa too. We want Iowa to get us on their show also. Iowa's a terrific state. <laughs> flat, probably, right? Very flat. Yeah. Very flat. Very flat. Um, no, it was a big, a big, a a big, big moment. Yes. Our uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo made it a major priority. He did. He got all the alliances and got the money and made a very tight game plan to push this through and made it a priority. And they kept it a nail biter. They kept the vote. We didn't even like know if five minutes before midnight or something went through the house. Yeah, and didn't know if the uh, the, the uh, Senate, the New York State Senate, was going to even vote on it. And then it went to the eleventh hour before they all took off uh, on a Friday night. And what was it? Yeah, it was like eleven forty on Friday night. And it, we it needed. We thought that uh, maybe we'd get that one swing vote to push it over, but it was two votes actually. Right. Yeah. The, the the state state senator from the Poughkeepsie, yeah. which is up in the beautiful Hudson Valley near where I live. And another uh, senator from Buffalo were the two that put it over the top. I read this great article today by a very conservative Republican. I think it was on either Drudge or Fox News, where he basically said that he no longer understands the fight against gay marriage because it's been over 10 years that they've been fighting to get this to be you know, where the trend is moving now. And if the people that are against it are right, and that allowing gay marriage destroys families, families would have probably been destroyed by now. Yeah. And no families have been destroyed by now outside of the standard curve of families getting destroyed, having nothing to do with who's married to who. Right. So he just used basic sociological logic that if gay marriage was going to destroy America, it would have or should have already, and the fact that it isn't even remotely anywhere near that concept just defrauds the entire opinion. 
that gay marriage or legalizing gay marriage will, in fact, be detrimental to our society. And look, it's not like opposite-sex marriages don't have problems <laughs> or don't raise children that have... I mean, you know, it's, it's as we said, not to go into a whole thing here, but um, actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and back off. Enough said. That's what... Right, but I, I would just you. I would just conclude by saying that Chris Rock was doing a bit a couple of years ago, and he said that if if gay people want to marry and be miserable for the rest of their lives, like the rest of they us, should, right. they, they should have, have every right, right to do to that. Be as miserable exactly. as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, anyway. So that's uh, all right. That so our... and then uh, all right. So that's that. <laughs> so that's that. You know, but I was just gonna just gonna add to that. What was interesting is also when it becomes personal. The same way, if you know, say, a cancer survivor or anybody, when something touches you personally, like I know that a lot of um, folks, you know, when some Wall Street money came from folks that aren't necessarily gay themselves, but have a son, you know, or have a daughter or somebody, and when you know somebody and it's personal, it's right. Cheney changed. I mean, he had to play that role for eight years. Yeah. As the biggest douchebag on the planet. Because he's not giving us money, so I can disparage him. <laughs> Everyone thinks he's evil anyway. But now he's pro-gay marriage because of Lynn Cheney. Lynn Cheney's his wife. No, his who's the daughter? daughter? His daughter is uh, Mary. Mary Cheney, sorry. Right. right, Lynn Cheney was the wife. Yeah. She could be gay, too. Who knows? <laughs> that would be ironic. <laughs> That's like um, uh, Fran Drescher's new show. You know, Fran Drescher yes. dated her high school sweetheart and married him. Right. And then, like, 20 years later, he's like, sorry, I'm gay. Yeah. And now they're, like, best friends. But this new show she has on TV Land called Happily Divorced is all about the story of how he's got a partner now and they're married and she's divorced. But they're friends and they have kids. See, if, there, so, if, 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 if same-sex marriage would have been legal, he might not have had to marry somebody who clearly was not his correct partner in life, right. i.e. a woman. Like rock, It's the Rock Hudson story. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway. In any case. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's cue up our music here because it's time to introduce, and I have to extend significant apologies because I never realized that she had never been officially a Survivor Spotlight on the show. Is that right? No. Wow. All right. So I... We'll predicate your introduction by saying you have my deepest apologies, and I love you more than anything. You can make it up to me on Thursday. Okay. In her inaugural stint in the Survivor Spotlight on this fine Monday, June 27, 2011, Amanda Freeman, who after graduating from the Eastman School of Music in 2008, one of the finest music schools in the U.S. of A., Amanda decided to attend an Ivy League college after that, Columbia University, to study to become a doctor. After only two weeks, she was diagnosed with osteosarcoma of the mandible. That's kind of like your upper jaw, correct? It's, it's your lower jaw. It's kind of like your lower jaw. Close. In, in February of 2009, despite a second and third diagnosis of metastatic disease, Amanda continued on with her studies. After 10, count them, 10 surgeries, over a year of chemo, a clinical trial, and 163 days in the hospital. Amanda is clearly an Onco rock star and, drumroll please, finally cancer-free. This year she will finish her studies at Columbia and apply to medical school, Cancer Be Damned. Please welcome everybody, Amanda Freeman. Hello. Yeah, you've sat in on probably three or four dozen shows in the last, two years since I've known you, and you've never been 
in the spotlight. I I was just waiting for you to ask me, but you forgot. Yeah, but every now and then you could sort of poke me. <laughs> Actually, honestly, I... On Facebook. I was really kind of nervous. I always got kind of nervous even just saying hi every week. No, but I, I met you through Johnny Immerman, actually. Correct. Um, of Immerman Angels. And I've seen a tremendous growth in your maturity and your personality and just the way you hold yourself since then. So I guess maybe you, you were intimidated or shy, but I don't expect that from you anymore. You should tell me exactly what I need to do and how to do it right now. Noted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, so we, we met... Johnny Emerman was in New York City. Right. Randomly. January of 2010. Right. And he um, sent out this, like, wide net. Like, hey, people from New York that don't know Matt, come to lunch. And, like, three people came. Right. But you were one of them. I was. And it was love at first sight. Yeah. Johnny was so sweet when I was diagnosed. I mean, I was thrown into this world. and. How did you find out about Emerman Angels to begin with? Google. Ooh. <laughs> Which goes back to what you were talking about in the introduction. Yes. Um, yeah. And so he uh, talked with me on numerous occasions, and I always thought, gosh, he's so genuine. And and he honestly makes you he fakes feel. Sin- he fakes sincerity very well. Yeah, but I don't think it's fake. Because he really yeah. does I'm remember it. No, no. That was a joke. Johnny is the most. We love him. The most accidentally authentic person. Yeah, yeah, he's on, he's amazingly authentic. Yeah, exactly. He comes across as like, really, you're like that, but he really is like that. He's just an <laughs> amiable guy who loves to hug and he's all about the uh, the embracing people and building building communities. And That's because he's got that good upper body, those good muscles. Yeah. So it's part of it is like. God, is he muscular? Feel my manly physique. <laughs> exactly. All right, so talk us through this. You were a professional concert bassoonist. I was. And you had been training for how many years? Thirteen years. Oh, is that all? Yeah, not okay. that long. Play, so, playing at a professional level. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I love the bassoon. It was my life. I couldn't imagine doing anything else with myself. But then slowly I realized I was spending more and more time reading about medicine and really fascinated by disease and surgeries. And it just sort of became like it it didn't feel like the right path for me. So I decided to, you know, make the change. And, you know, ironically enough, you know, I ended up being diagnosed with a cancer in my jaw, which actually has prevented me from playing the bassoon any longer. But I could sort of consider that like fate that I like had this feeling before I was ever sick that I should like make a change. So you have ESP. I do. That's the right answer. <laughs> Have you ever had the urge to pick up another instrument? Because um, clearly you are, you know, many people, and Matthew can attest to this, being another musician, can play more than one instrument if you are sort of predisposed to I mean, being yeah. as fabulous as you are I, that way. I studied the piano at Eastman for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed it. But when you get to a certain level where you can look at a piece of music and and play it and, and know it, exactly what's supposed to happen... It's hard to, like, go to an instrument where you have to technically work on things. Right. Yeah, that's, like, why I never took the guitar. Because the guitar, I like, I knew, I've been playing for 30 years, or how old am I? Almost 30 years I've been playing. And I wanted to just learn guitar one day. And I spent, like, 
a good two months trying to learn guitar. And like, this is too hard. I already know the other song. I know what I'm going to go for. Just making the noises is too complicated. Yeah. So I just went back to piano. When your ears yeah. are so fine-tuned after a long period of studying music, it's really hard to listen to yourself sound like shit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. I understand I know. that. I know. Exactly. So, so you were reconciled yeah. that you were, were not going to play the bassoon. Yeah, I mean, I had already made that decision. So right. So I'd accepted it. Yeah, I mean, I do miss playing, but... Um, you know, it's just uh, more time for me to not be distracted by the past and focus on the future. So now you're back in school. Right. And when do you actually graduate? Uh, next May. And what is your degree going to be? Um, well, since I already have my bachelor's, it's it's not really a degree that I'm getting. It's a post-bac program. Okay. So you just you get a certificate, and then they um, basically write a letter on your behalf to medical school saying that... She has this GPA, and she would be an excellent candidate, and you should take her. And Was and that then, your, like, like industrial studious pedagogy voice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so essentially, it's it's a post-grad pre-med to take the science courses that you may not have taken when you were a musician getting right. your BA yeah. at Eastman, correct? Correct. Yeah. I've had other friends that have gone through that program at uh, Columbia. Um, so now, so then you will be in the process of applying to medical schools? Right. I mean, I can either do a traditional application process or I can um, apply for a linkage, which is basically like where you pick one school, sort of like, you know, early decision. Right. And, um, you know, if you get a good enough MCAT score, then they'll accept you and you skip the whole year off and you just go straight in. So potentially I could start next August. So assuming all this works out in your favor, uh, you're not going to earn a dime until you're like 35 years old, And you'll be heavily in debt to boot. I mean, I will start to earn some money when I start (laughs) my residency, but it'll basically be enough to, like, buy toilet paper and (laughs) eat, um, you know, Hot Pockets um, when I'm not asleep. So um, I probably, if... I go in the career path that I intend, probably won't actually make um, a decent amount of money until I'm like 45, but that's okay. So what area of medicine do you plan on studying? Um, I'm really fascinated with surgery, um, and really that's sort of a product of all of my experiences um, with my own illness. Um, But, you know... Really, I can't say that you can honestly make that decision until you've experienced all the different fields and you get to rotate through them. I think it makes sense. You're an artist, and a lot of artists, you're used to, you know, you play the bassoon, you've worked with your hands, and it seems like there are a lot of sort of artistic types who would tend towards surgery. I mean, we've had other doctors on the show who are musicians. I will never cut anyone open with the scalpel. Yeah, you forget about it. Yeah, I'm the odd man. <laughs> Absolutely, out on that one. you certainly are. Definitely. But moving on from Matthew, um, <laughs> I, I, I would trust uh, Amanda with a scalpel. Oh, I would. I mean, I think. In, in like an OR. <laughs> yeah. Not like on a date or not something. Wheel, not wielding it around this office, <laughs> right, please. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> on a day when she's particularly pissed off. Um, so surgery. So that's so that's and just to just to recap again. Um, your story in finding this, again, is 
sort of all too common in that you first just thought you had a toothache, right? And you went to a bunch of doctors and... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always had jaw pain my entire life. I mean, you know, I'd clench my teeth at night. That kind of TMJ know. thing? Yeah, like, I was very familiar with that. So, you know, my first symptom was actually numbness. It wasn't pain. So I thought, like, I had pinched a nerve, I was stressed out, I was working, like, double and triple shifts and not sleeping and not eating and saving every penny to move to New York. I honestly didn't think about it, even though I've always been that person who just went to the doctor. Um, I didn't think about it. And then I moved to New York, and literally the day after I moved to New York, the pain started, and it was the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? And I didn't know. I didn't know anybody in New York. I didn't want to go to the ER because I thought they'll probably just think I'm like a junkie looking for pain meds. And, you know, who knows how long I'll wait. I mean, this is New York City. I didn't know anything about New York. I thought, like, you know, you go to the ER and you'll be there for four days. before they. That's true. You are there for four days. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I just sort of, I waited until I went home to Georgia, but it was Christmas time. Like, nobody, nobody would see me. My doctor was out of town and... So I went to the ER, and, yeah, they ignored me. You know, they gave me some pain meds and said, go see another doctor. Go find a doctor, you know. So I had to go through this process of finding a doctor in New York, and I just sort of bounced around with, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, oh, it's just TMJ, or, oh, it's, you know, stress, or, oh, you you have an infection, you know. Until finally one doctor said you should have a biopsy. Yeah, I mean, it was. I had been on antibiotics for over a month, and a doctor was like, we're going to do a CAT scan and we're going to do a biopsy. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know. But even he thought that it was like an infection. He was like, I think I have to call a CDC. He's like, because it's not healing. Um, but, you know, they did the biopsy, and, you know, a couple of days later he was like, I, I can't believe I have to tell you this. He said, you know, he's been in practice for like 30 years. He was like, I've only seen this one other time in my career. You're like, fabulous, golden ticket is mine. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's strange, you know, I was nodding and knew that he was going to say cancer before he actually said the words. Yeah. So, you know, your your gut knows. Well, we have to read the news because Julie just called in, so we'll get to her in a second. But you are here all evening. You can chime in anytime you want. And I hope, it is my hope, that having you on tonight as our Survivor Spotlight has mended any and all fences by my unintentionally ignoring the fact that you've been on the show 2,000 times, but never <laughs> officially as a Survivor Spotlight. Oh. And that I love you and adore you forever. Well, I've always known that. I now. second that. Yes. <laughs> she loves me and adores me forever. <laughs> Not you, dummy. Amanda Freeman. <laughs> All right, let's uh, cue up the news here, and we'll get to that right now. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, services that we don't want you missing out on, and they're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, karaoke nights, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something that you'd like to be read during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at 
That is info at stupidcancer.com. All right, folks, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matthew, what's coming up? All right, Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Michigan, June 24th, in San Diego, June 30th, in Nashville, July 13th, in D.C. Metro on July 13th, Long Island, July 14th, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, August 17th, and there is a canoeing adventure for singles with cancer on Thursday, August 25th. Go to uh, solosurvivors.org, solosurvivors.org for a canoeing adventure for singles with cancer. All right, we're gearing up for the 2012 OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada early next year. Get the scoop on our upcoming Save the Date. That means we're sending you a save the date, and we're going to give you some scoop on that. So join the Facebook group and sign up for the mailing list. It's at omg2012.org. The Stupid Cancer Forums are literally on fire with over 900 members, growing by leaps and bounds every week. This is your premier online community for young adults to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. All right, you want to help but don't know how? Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free. It's easy. You can win great prizes, build our grassroots efforts, and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. And as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-to-one peer matching at immermanangels.org, and check out the calendar for First Descent, the premier young adult outdoor adventure organization, First Descent. Dot org, and that, that is, is your, your stupid, stupid cancer news. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. Julie Clark founded the Baby Einstein Company in 1997, selling it to Disney five years later. She went on to create the Safe Side, producing DVDs for children on the topic of personal and internet safety. She is a two-time breast cancer survivor diagnosed at the age of 37 with infiltrating ductal carcinoma and was declared cancer-free following a double mastectomy. Nearly five years later, she's learned that her cancer had returned and metastasized to her liver. She is just... Whoa! You all right there, boy? My throat just gave out on me. Nearly five years later, she learned that her cancer had returned and her test to her liver. She has since been declared cancer-free again following treatment and has recently written a children's book called You Are Your Best Medicine, which helps children understand how important their love is during a parent's cancer treatment. I can't say more, more how important that is. Julie lives in Colorado with her husband, Bill, and daughters, Aspen and Sierra. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Julie Clark. Julie? Hey, how are you, Matthew? Uh, Welcome, Julie. We're thrilled to have you. I'm sorry, Thank I just you so experienced much, like, a loss of my esophagus during your bio. He's all—he's actually all—he's all choked up. <laughs> he's, he's well, very nice moved. to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. No, we're very excited, and uh, quite honestly, I—I I have to thank and a special shout out to Elise Kaplan from uh, Living Beyond Breast Cancer Coalition. Yeah. Oh, I adore Elise. Yeah, I, yeah. I just saw Elise at Ask Go, and she—she she was the one that suggested that I get in touch with you because she'd be great on the show. And then, of course, I invited Elise on the show. She's like, well, I don't know. But so, special <laughs> shout out. We'll get Elise on the show for, for October Breast Cancer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because I think Elise is a survivor as well. Yes, she yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Like yes, 20 years or something. I mean, she's yeah. she's rocking it. So, yeah, um, so, yeah she's, a, she's a great lady. 
so that's how those stars align to get us in touch. And and it's just and I think you spoke um, at the uh, Young Women Breast Cancer Conference. I did. Yes, I did in February in Orlando. And um, yes, it was it was you know it's it's one of those things um, that is always you know amazing and powerful to do, but also almost inexplicably emotional. I mean, I can I can sit here and sort of like read my speech over and over and over, but when I actually am standing up there in front of all those people who are going through the same thing, it is just such a visceral experience, you know, you just, you feel in that room so much, um, you know, just that strength and that power and everybody just fighting so hard and it just is so moving, you know, it's just incredible. So Well, yeah. we we, um, we had many, many attendees from our organization there and they all heard you and they could not say enough good things about oh, your message and your story. So we're, we were right, I wasn't there with you. Um, but I heard nothing but good things about it. And then when Elise called me and said, you got to do this, and then I saw her again, it's good karma all around. And I will share with you that, that Elise decided that there were not enough uh, testicles in Orlando. <laughs> so I've been invited <laughs> to speak next year as probably one of the only men who's Do you have be testicles? Oh, I'm sorry. I do I have didn't. <laughs> you just I was set up for that. Uh, I couldn't resist. Well, I, I'm married that with two it. children, so... So I, you've been I, stripped of them completely. I have, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. I have the illusion of testicles. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you're going to go back next year or whatever, but just know that, that the message is there. It's a very powerful group, and um, I yeah. will, uh, I'm will. i very excited to be a part of what you have very experienced. So. Oh, that's um, great. Well... It is. I mean, it's just it's a it's an incredible place to be, and everybody is out there looking for the next answer, you know. And sometimes I think, what is it that you know? For whatever reason, I'm in a really good place right now that has you know I'm in stage four cancer, and yet I'm cancer free. And uh, boy, sometimes I just think, wow, you know, why me? And what does it mean? And is it gonna change for me, or you know, stay this way? And um, we're all just out there hoping and fighting and doing our best, right? Absolutely, Julie. I'm a breast cancer survivor myself, um, 16 years at this point. And, oh, hooray. Um, yeah, hooray. And so we obviously know we're going to go back over Baby Einstein, which is um, an incredible uh, business that you built. And what is it now? It's 30 children's books and videos and albums and everything. Um, but tell us, tell us, first of all, where in your moguldom you sort of were when you first were diagnosed. Well, it was actually I had already sold the company, so um, I was about uh, the company was about ten or no, I'm sorry, not quite that old. It was about uh, seven years old, and um, I had already sold the company to Disney. I was still doing consulting for Baby Einstein at that time, um, and I was in the process of starting another company called The Safe Side, which you very kindly mentioned. Um, and The Safe Side was about helping children understand how to stay safe, either on the Internet or with people that they don't know. And this was really a, something that came about as a result of having kids who were in elementary school now, no longer babies, and I wanted my kids to understand how to keep themselves safe. And so John Walsh and I partnered up, actually, to create The Safe Side, and it was just a great way to, to teach children about safety. But in the course of um, editing that first film called Stranger Safety, we, um, I was in the editing suite and discovered at the age of 37 a very small, very, very small lump in my breast. And um, 
I was, you know, feeling very fortunate. I found out it was stage one, and I thought myself very lucky because I'd caught it really early. And so um, I, you know, I kind of went ahead, got the mastectomy, which was considered quite radical at the time because my cancer was so small as a stage one cancer. However, it was grade three, so it was very aggressive. And um, I was HER2 positive, but I did not do Herceptin. I did not do chemo. I was really opposed to those things at the time. And so I just opted for a double mastectomy, came out with a clean PET scan, and went right back to work, went right back into the safe side, and, and um, you know, just kind of got back to my life and said, okay, well, I was really lucky. I, I finished cancer. I'm done with that now. I put that aside, and I was completely done with it. And um, uh, and then, as you as you mentioned, almost five years later, um, found another lump in almost exactly the same place where the first one had been, except this time it had metastasized to my liver. And so I got that terrible news at the age of um, 42. So um, yeah, so that's kind of where I was. And where did you did you where did you feel the lump? Had you had reconstructive surgery or no? Was it sort of in the chest wall, or how did you actually how did you find it? Where was it? I'll tell you, it was really weird. So the first time, in case you're going, well, why were you feeling your breast in the editing suite? Why not? <laughs> I'm doing it right now, actually. She is. I got there you go. <laughs> what had happened is um, I had been, the, the first time at these 37, I'd been working out, and um, and I had just really sore muscles, like, under my arm. And the first lump that I felt was there. It was in my armpit, more than you'd even think it was on your breast. It was more like in my armpit. And um, I was just massaging it because it was really sore from working out, and that's when I found it the first time. The second time was just, I, I have no explanation for it. It's so weird, Lisa. It was, um, I was on my way home from a trip, and I was on a flight from London, and I had this very, very strange sensation of a very deep itching in exactly the same place where my tumor had been removed huh. um, years before. And... So because I had this itching, I'm like digging around there, sort of in my armpit area. I'm like, God, this is so weird. And then I felt a, a, sort of like a swelling. It felt different than the first time because the first time it felt like a tiny little pebble. The second time it felt more like a lymph node might be swollen. And so um, I got home, and that was on a Thursday. On a Friday, I went to see my doctor, just my regular GP, and um she said, you know, I think it's probably a swollen lymph node. Let's just send you anyway for an ultrasound. So on Monday, I went for an ultrasound. I was actually on my way to the airport because I had been doing some consulting still with baby Einstein, and I was on my way to California. I swung by the um, radiologist's office for this quick ultrasound that I was sure was going to be nothing. And she took, you know, she took a look at the film, and she said, you know, I don't like the way this looks at all. I want to biopsy it right now. Hmm. So... You know, that's like a Monday morning, and I'm going, wait a minute, I've got a ticket. I'm leaving in two hours. And um, in any case, I didn't go to California. She did biopsy it. And um, the next day, Tuesday, I found out that it was indeed breast cancer in the same location that my first tumor had been. I had another tumor. And even though I'd had that swelling, it was also the second time a very small tumor. The tumor itself, again, was under a centimeter Wow. which it was the first time. And so, you know, I guess I was inclined to think, although I just in the last couple of weeks read that very small tumors can often be more deadly and aggressive, um, that very small tumor 
turned out to, again, have metastasized to my liver, and I had a couple of lymph nodes involved as well. So at that point, I had the the primary tumor removed. I had 10 lymph nodes removed, um, six of which were positive. And, of course, I couldn't have my liver removed, so I started chemotherapy. Um, Livers are overrated. As soon as possible. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now, I mean, here was the really amazing part of my story. When I went for my um, for my consultation with the doctor after discovering it in my liver, I was told that there were so many tumors on both of my nodes of my liver. Um, one side had two two tumors about two centimeters each, and the other side had so many tumors that they couldn't count them. They just said innumerable lesions, um, too many to give a number to. Hmm. And um, so that was obviously terrifying. Yeah. But um, here I am today, almost three years later, and I have no evidence of disease. I've had no evidence of disease since I finished chemotherapy, which was um, I had six rounds of chemo after my diagnosis the second time, and I also do Herceptin. So I get Herceptin every three weeks. And I had my ovaries out, and I take Fomara, and I do all those things because I had ERPR positive cancer, and I also had HER2 overexpression. So right. there we are, yeah. And do you have, are there symptoms that you experience because of the uh, metastases on the on the liver, or no? You know, I felt like I was having sort of some pain in that area of my abdomen, like on the right-hand side of my abdomen. Um, the doctor has told me that that couldn't have been the case because the tumors were too small for me to really, like, feel anything. But I feel as if I'm very, very receptive to my body's messages. Sure. Um, whatever that means. I just, you know, but I do feel like, I think your previous guest was saying, you know, you kind of know. I mean, you you sort of have this sensation that maybe this is something really serious. And I did have that sort of feeling. So, you know, again, I, I think that doctors don't always know. I mean, if they haven't experienced it themselves, all they have is hearsay. So I I do think that I had that yeah, I, I'm totally in agreement with you on that. I know Matthew's going to jump in here in a second, but I felt the same way. I mean, I had a certain pain and a certain tightness in the, in the side of my breast, and, you know, there was just a sixth sense as much as I didn't want to believe it. Um, and every doctor said, pain is not associated with cancer. That must right. mean that's a, that's a good sign. And I was like, eh, not so sure. <laughs> no, exactly. I agree. You really yeah. have to listen to your body because even I, I was like, after my first, you know, relapse, they were like, oh, it was just one little spot. You'll be fine when we take it out. But mm-hmm. my gut said, like, no, I need more help. So it's right. important to, like, for people to voice yeah. that. Um, Julie, I had a question for you. Um, you may know, or I guess I'll tell you now, we work very closely with the Young Survival Coalition um, mm-hmm. because we're both doing, you know, young adult cancers. They're breast cancer-focused. We're all cancer-focused. But there are so many sort of mutually relatable issues that affect us. The question that I usually ask all of our guests is, you know, diagnose, I'm 37 now, so, you know, you were diagnosed at 37. Right. Were you in a room, I mean, you didn't go through, like, you know, chemo or anything right back then, but did you find yourself feeling like, you know, uh, sort of chronologically displaced while you were going through all your procedures or talking to your doctors? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, I think I still do. I've I've been fortunate to 
connect with, you know, people who don't want to be in, in this group. But, of course, um, I've been fortunate to, to be in a great support group with some amazing ladies. But none of them go to my doctor. And so, right. yeah, you know, I, I do. And I, I have to say, and for, maybe it's just part of being an old person, but there's this old woman who is always there when I go for treatment for her septum every three weeks. And she's always, you know, she's getting chemo and she's, a much older person. She's probably in her late 70s, early 80s. And um, she literally looked at me the first time I saw her in that room, and she said, you're too young. Why do you have this disease? I oh, can't God. You know, I mean, and, and you're sitting there going, wow. I mean, like, could you just be a little kinder? I mean, you do <laughs> feel sort of that, that oppressive oldness around you, and you oh. feel like you don't have anybody to, to kind of, you know, experience or express their experiences with you in the same way so when i talk about what it was like to talk to my children about it or to live as a mommy with um cancer and have to talk to my kids and tell them that i have this disease it's an awfully lot you know it's it's much much different than that 80 year old woman having to tell her 55 year old daughter she's got cancer you know it's just obviously so much different so well, let's move in that direction i want to move in that direction because we yeah. talk about you know the caregiver role of young adults with cancer on their children or the <laughs> caregiver role of for someone like your spouse having to deal with your children when you can't communicate with them or how do you communicate with young children whose young adult parents are sick this falls directly within the lens of the young adult movement because we have our shit to deal with while we're going through our shit. And yep. as a, a new father of twin 14-month-olds, I can't even begin to comprehend how I would deal with them as they start to grow and mature if something unfortunate were to happen again to me or my wife. Right. So, so this came out of direct experience and personal need. You had to learn to speak to your kids about certain things. Right. Well, and, and, you know, the first time around, my kids were younger. They were six and nine. And so, um, you know, they had an understanding of the disease. Plus, it was stage one. Not to ever say that's easy, because God knows it's not. But um, I really did feel like it was gone and, and that I was going to be able to, to kind of just blow through, it, blow through it to some degree, you know, double mastectomy later. But um, I... I the first time around, I literally sat down at the kitchen table and I just said, Mommy has cancer, but I don't have the kind that you die from. Those were my words. And, wow. you know, whether or not it was true, I, it didn't matter to me at the time. I literally could not have my children thinking that their mommy was going to die. I mean, I just, it, it was just inconceivable to me. And sure. so I couldn't do it, you know. And, and um, I will tell you that the second time, my kids, of course, were older. They were. 11 and 13, and um, at the time, I said something similar. I did not tell my kids then that it was stage 4. Um, I couldn't even say it to myself. I couldn't say it out loud. I mean, it was just, I didn't tell anybody at the time um, because, again, I, I, I truly couldn't even talk about it myself, it, to myself, you know. Yeah, sure. I just had to, like, get through it. I just had to go. I was like, I'm going to do chemo. I'm just going to get through it. So I just tell my kids, you know, my cancer came back, but now I have to take this medicine, and it's going to make me sick, but it's going to get rid of the cancer. And um, and that was kind of it. Later, of course, you know, a year and a half or so later, when I did start feeling more comfortable talking about it, and of course I was better, quote-unquote better, you know, I had no evidence of disease anymore, 
um, I did tell my children the, the seri- you know, about the seriousness of the disease, and of course, then they discovered it as well because now I've got this book out, this children's book, and you know, my website talks about the stage four disease. But um, and that's you are I, the best. We should mention that the book again is you are the best yeah. medicine. You right? are the best medicine. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the website is youarethebestmedicine.com. Um, but in any case, my older daughter has since kind of expressed to me that she felt like I should have been more, um, I should have talked more about what was going on because as they were older the second time, they felt like I was just glazing over it. They could, they they picked up on that now, you know, because they were older and they understood how serious cancer really was. I mean, both both of them knew people who had died of cancer, and you know they they understood how serious it was. They're teenagers and now, so correct? They are, yeah. They're fourteen and sixteen, and um, you know, and I think that still my daughter will say, um, you know, I hate it when I watch TV, and whenever somebody dies in a show on TV, they always die of cancer, which is true. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just feel like. Yeah. Could we just yeah. not have somebody dying of cancer? Like, whenever somebody dies in a show, does it have to be cancer? <laughs> Couldn't it be, like, I don't know, something else? But, um, you know, I, I think it, it is hard. And, and the goal of the book, I should say, is um, when my kids, the second time when I was diagnosed, and my kids, of course, were a little bit older, I was thinking about how important it is to tell your kids what they can do to help you. And... You know, they can't give you medicine and they can't, um, you know, drive you to the doctor because they're little and all that stuff. But they can love you and they can tell you you're beautiful when you don't have hair. And they can climb in bed next to you and, you know, and, and lay with you and watch TV when you're not feeling good. And so You Are the Best Medicine was really a way to tell my children and other children out there who whose parents are suffering from cancer that they are so important because in the end, even though it may be the chemo that saved me or the Herceptin that saved me or whatever it was in terms of medicine, nothing gave me the strength to fight it as hard as I did as the love of my children. So, like, kind of ultimately it boiled down to that, you know. Right. Well, I go, really back to, the best medicine. I go back to this book that changed my life. This is long before I got sick. Um, but uh-huh. the, if you're familiar with a gentleman named Dr. Bernie Siegel, Sure. Uh, oh Bernie, yeah, sure. Bernie is, is 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 I will use an SAT word. Bernie is avuncular. Wow. He is much like an uncle <laughs> to me. He was one of my mentors when I was. I'm gonna beginning. Google that right yes. now just to make sure. Avuncular. <laughs> there is, by the way, non sequitur. There is no female version of the word avuncular. Other relating to an uncle. Yes. Exactly. There is no <laughs> exactly upper. Exactly as it sounds. There is right. no upper relating there's to no, an aunt. There's no. There's no right. There's no avuncular. No, no avuncular. No, no <laughs> but Bernie Siegel wrote a book in the 80s, long before its time, called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. I remember, yeah. And he was lambasted by the community in the medical world because how dare you think that, you know, your own mind or your any, right for being too touchy feely. Yeah, anything yeah. that's non-clinical can't possibly make you better. And right. that book has served as a staple for me, and the fact that I, I knew about it in college just through my studies, and then I got sick, and I read the book, and then I met the man, and he stewarded me. You, what you're saying is dead on. The love and the medicine yeah. play a dual role. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Um, what I wanted to tell you, though, is uh, I, I, I mentioned I had twins that are 14 months old now. I want you to tell me what every parent 
every parent that I meet with older children has to tell me a scary thing that I'm waiting to expect <laughs> from my kids. So what what am I to look forward to that will scare the crap out of me once they as they age? <laughs> um well, my daughters, as I was talking to you, my office, my home office looks out in in my courtyard like you know, outside of my driveway. And I watched my daughters 14 and 16, <laughs> excuse me, drive away. Oh, I'm sure they were going to get ice cream, but I'll tell you, wow. when you see your kids in the car together the first time and one of them is driving and there's nobody else in the car, that is I don't even have failure. kids and that's freaking me out. <laughs> I know, right? Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're, I'm like, I, you know, other people say this as well, I'm sure, but I do have great kids. I have really great kids. I I have teenagers that I like. I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> well, you must. Um, you must, and, and we'd be remiss without. I really want to um, shift and, and actually talk about Baby Einstein because what you've created and put into this world um, on so many levels is an amazing thing. And starting with Baby Einstein and being a female entrepreneur, which I give you all the props in the world for, <laughs> which is it's difficult for anybody to be an entrepreneur. It is harder for women to be. <laughs> A successful entrepreneur. Unless you're J.K. Rowling. You you created um, or Julie Clark. Yeah. Uh, what you <laughs> created an incredible world uh, that's put so much good into. You know, when I Facebooked your appearance tonight, I all of a sudden had you know friends of mine in my local town. My kids like you know outside of the whole <laughs> cancer community, everybody of course jumped on and giving thumbs up and oh my gosh, my kids. Really amazing. Um, backtrack and tell us a bit of the story as to how you, because I think it's fascinating. You were somebody who had you had a background in the arts, is that right? And you wanted yeah, to yeah. kind of educate kids about this. So fill us in a little bit as to how you got the whole thing started. Sure. Um, well, I was I had been a teacher. I was an art and English teacher, and um, high school and middle school though, not little tiny kids. And um, I left teaching when my first daughter was born, and I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, which I was, and I'm happy to say I still am. Um, But in the course of that first year of my oldest daughter's life, I just really began missing, uh, I missed teaching the things that I loved. So, um, you know, I had been a, a great reader of literature, and I loved art and um, loved art history and of course I had a little tiny baby so how do you teach that to a baby well that was sort of my question and um, in the midst of of Barney being on TV which no offense (laughs) to Barney I think that was you know it served a great purpose for a lot of kids but I just couldn't have it on in my house it made me insane (laughs) wait tell us how you really feel (laughs) so um, I came up with this idea of, you know, I read to my daughter all the time, and we and and we look at pictures together, and she just loves looking at these picture books. And so, wouldn't it be cool if I could basically take that board book, that picture book, and put it on a screen so that she it would enable her to watch something that she really liked looking at, and almost incidentally, listen to classical music, which I loved. So it. It had this great, it served this great purpose, which was, you know, she was watching something she really enjoyed, and she was being exposed to something that I really loved, and that I felt was really good for her. I mean, not because it was going to make her smarter necessarily, it was just because, God knows, I mean, we could all listen to classical music and, and you know, reap the benefits of just the beauty of it. You know, it's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason why it's 
hundreds of years old. I mean, there's a reason why we still listen to Mozart today. And so um, that was really the the original intent. And um, I shot the first two videos in my basement um, just with borrowed video equipment. My husband helped me, and we edited it on our home computer um, using Adobe Premiere, and it took kind of forever <laughs> because we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, and we figured it out. And after that first year, I had a video. I named it Baby Einstein. I had no idea I was even starting a company. <laughs> and that little logo that you see on the Baby Einstein packages is actually a logo that I drew on my kitchen table wow. um, with my daughter's crayons. I mean, and, and that's still the logo that's on all those Disney packages that are all over the world now. So yeah. it's pretty cool. And it was just one of those things. It was needed. It was, you know, people wanted it for their kids. Their kids ended up loving it. And so word of mouth was just amazing for us. We never... In the five years that my husband and I owned the company, we never ran an ad. We literally just had people talking about it. And as you know, if you have 14-month-olds, if somebody said to you, you know, Matthew, my son is also teething, but when I pop in baby Bach, he stops crying. You'd be like, I will pay $500 (laughs) for that baby Bach. If it will make my son stop crying when he's teething, I will be happy. So, you know, that's kind of what happened to us. It was um, it was really an amazing story, and it was so much fun because we were making what we loved. Um, right. I mean, the I key, can't the tell you the, the, Yeah, the key to the success of any other. But, I mean, I realize Baby great. Einstein should be part of a diversified portfolio of relationship engagement with your children. I of know course. too many people that, like, turn on the VCR or, Minus Barney. or put the DVD <laughs> in the laptop and then, like, leave the kids for two hours. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, no, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although it's, I mean, it's nice that, if yeah. you have to, but you shouldn't do that. Well, absolutely not. I mean, and, and, you know, so the original intent was, yeah, you know, sit with your baby, listen to something that you enjoy. I mean, we've, you know, again, like in reference to Barney or Sesame Street, I mean, at, at times we do let our children watch television, and hopefully it's appropriate television. And this was just another means of an appropriate program that you could put on for your child and either watch with them or sometimes allow them to watch on their own for a short period of time which short period of time truth That's be told, i was a stay-at-home mom i mean there were certainly you know times when my husband came home from work at five o'clock and i hadn't had a shower yet because you know my babies were um you know teething or tired or they didn't want to be put down and so you know i didn't have a chance to do that so it's kind of it was it was you know also a nice way to kind of have that time to do what you needed to do as a mom and know that your child was watching something appropriate. That's phenomenal. And then also the safe side again, another terrific idea that puts something good out there, particularly in these times of the internet and how you know oh, kids are God. so hooked into that. Absolutely, it's so scary. I mean, what you know, what our kids can see on the internet in you know even without choosing to see it, that they can see by accident, is stuff that when I was, you know, 18 years old, I wouldn't even know where to go to see, you know? I mean, so um, it is very scary. And, you know, I do have to say that in terms of the safe side, all all of our profits have gone to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So we've actually donated about a quarter of a million dollars so far. Wow. Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Actually, really you are wrong. You have donated $240,998. Oh. <laughs> you are $10,002 too high. It's only $240,000. <laughs> so sorry. 
Get your facts straight, ma'am. <laughs> That's probably go. Yeah. You are you are in Yiddish what we would call a gutena shama. What is, is that? Gesundheit. It is a, a, no, good, a really. good it's a good soul that does good work. Well, Absolutely. Thank you. I I hope to be. And I and I really hope that you know, kind of one of the things that's my new missive is um when you're given the diagnosis that I received, particularly as a stage four patient, um you are just in a world of darkness. I mean, it's it's terrible. And, of course, like every other person, all you do is go on the Internet and start reading about sure. all the people who are dying from the disease that you have. Sure. And it is terrible. So um, my goal is to try to tell people, look, here I am, stage 4 cancer, tumors all over my liver, innumerable tumors, and I have no evidence of disease. I've had a PET scan every well, first every three months for the first two years, and now every six months. I just had a PET scan. I just had a great blood test result um, on my really. 2729. And, and, you know, I mean, I want people to know that there is life after stage 4 cancer, and, um, you know, I don't know how long it will be. I hope it's for the next 50 years, and it may be, and I'm hopeful for that, you know. So well, let me get your thoughts. We have a few minutes left, but I want to I wanna go not necessarily off topic, but I'd love your personal opinion on that comment you just made. Do you believe earnestly that this country understands the idea that there is life after cancer? I think, and the reason I asked that um, before I await your, your answer is that we struggle, much like the YSC struggles, as an organization built around survivorship and quality of life with and through your disease, that most of this country doesn't appreciate the fact that we're not dying anymore and that the, those of us that may die don't die the next day and that life okay. is extended with a focus on quality, we struggle with this. I've had conversations with most of the women over at YSC for years now. How does an advocacy organization make the case such as, I mean, I had brain cancer 15 and a half years ago, and right. I, st I just had an MRI last week, and I was scared out of my mind because the, the fear never goes away on the day you're getting the test. That's but, right. So my, my, just, just my question to you is, like, you're still alive. You had this... You went through this severe challenge. Do people really understand that the, when the doctor says you're cured or no evidence of disease, go home, that's not really the end of the story? God, you know, I, I think that um, that we don't even, I mean, even me, when I hear myself say it, I'm afraid to say it because I feel like if it doesn't happen, you know, if, if I say I'm cured, and, and no doctor has told me I'm cured because they never say it. They won't. Right. Um, when you're stage four, they'll never say you're cured, which I hate. It's such right. bullshit. <laughs> I really need to hear. I just want a doctor to say it to me. It's like I'm like a serial oncology user. I keep, like, changing my oncologist because I think I'm waiting for one of them to say you're cured. Um, but even when I hear myself say it, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to say it because I'm afraid that if it comes back, I will be so devastated. And I don't know if that's part of it for people. I don't know if people, you know, I, I never want to sound angry because I think so many people try so hard to do the right thing and make donations to various causes. And um, But it does irritate me when I see, for example, a pink ribbon on, like, you know, a box of toilet paper and my dog's food. And, you know, and it's like, come on, you know, like, if you really care about the cause, can you just 
like donate the money to the cause? Do you really have to like yeah. buy the you talk you, you're preaching to the choir here on that one. We work with a group called Breast Cancer Action in San Francisco. If you don't know them, check them out, Breast Cancer oh, Action. Wow. Um, uh-huh. they, they have this wholly awesome consumer, anti-consumer campaign every October that totally takes on the pink dog food companies and the pink blender <laughs> companies and the pink yogurt companies really? and calls them out on their BS of how it's basically taking advantage of consumer goodwill when people would be more impactful just writing a check. You would love yeah. their organization. Yes, that's great. I will definitely check them out. Breast Cancer Action. Yeah. Um, so I didn't completely answer your question, I guess, and I don't really know how to answer it. No, but there, re- there really well. isn't a right answer. It's yeah. sort of a trick yeah. question. I, I don't like yeah. to use the word cured either. I mean, as young adult survivors, all of us here in the room, I don't yeah. want a five-year remission rate. You know, I want a 50-year remission right, rate. Exactly. I don't want to be cured at 22 because right. I have the next 60 years to get it again. I could deal with cure if I'm 75. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. And I think that unless you're in the position that you, you guys are in and that I'm in and that your listeners are in, you, you can't really understand it. You know, I don't know that I did before I had this disease. So Right. You can't blame people, I guess. Everybody, you know, people mean well and they, they want you to be well. But um, it's such a weird, you know, dilemma because I don't even know – how I want people to respond. When people don't ask me about it, when I see friends and, and they don't say, like, how are you feeling? I get kind of pissed. Right, then when right. they ask me, I get kind of pissed. So I don't really know, you know. I don't know what to tell them. If they said to me, how do you want me to respond? I'm like, I don't know, because one minute it's one way and another minute it's another way. Yeah. So. Or crazy. would you rather them say, but you look so good. Yes, I would. <laughs> yeah, you would. Nice. I'm just glad that, you know, 16 years ago when I was diagnosed, you could still smoke in restaurants and bars in New York. And I actually had, like, friends that lit up cigarettes right across tables from me just as I was diagnosed. I'm oh, actually, my God. I'm, I'm glad that that's gone away. Right, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then Thank you're you sitting there much. going, wait a minute, how come I have cancer? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't smoke. Exactly. Damn straight. Um, uh, well, this is phenomenal. Gosh, Julie, we could uh, we could keep you out all night here, but um, you're so sweet. No, but her daughter just drove away, so she's free. She's free for the rest of the evening. <laughs> Woohoo! Kids are gone. Yeah. That's it, right? So we'll keep her on all night. Yeah. Oh God! Um, I, just I, I, I Where do you live in Colorado? We live just southeast Denver, so we're actually in the city of Centennial, but that doesn't mean much to anybody. So we're southeast Denver in kind of a rural area. I might be making a trip out to Denver this fall. I'd love to meet you for a drink or something if you could bring some away. I would. Yeah. Wait, I want to come yeah. too. All right, Lisa's coming. Lisa's going to be my freight. He's coming as baggage. <laughs> well, if you're Thank coming you. from the East Coast, it's a dry heat here. So. It's a dry heat, yeah. And she's um, got daughters Aspen and Sierra. That's I know. Ver- that's, that's very territorially appropriate. <laughs> that's very mountain time. Right. Yeah. right. That's right. So, um, no, but I would love that. I, I wish you would. You have my email address, and I wish you would definitely please look me up. That would yeah. be really nice. For you're, sure, you're, for sure. You're stuck with us now is what we're trying you to are. tell you. <laughs> you well, are. good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. everything you do. No, this thank you for your time. Spectacular. This is, this is all good karma. You're doing great stuff, and I can't thank you enough. From a narcissistic perspective as having 14-month-old <laughs> twins that love your DVDs, but at the end of the day, you are a good tennis shimmer. You're doing good work. You're amazing to tell your story, be so confident about it, but yet be so vulnerable and normal about it as well. 
Well, thank you very much. Um, And, again, thanks for for what you guys do, too. Really nice to talk to you. All right, Julie Clark, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. She's awesome. She is fantastic. I mean, when Elise from Living Beyond Breast Cancer uh, emailed me um, and said, I know her, you should really, you know, get down to earth, perfectly normal, easy to talk to, honest and just great. She's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yep. And she helps me be a better parent. <laughs> wow. Yes. Not many things can say that. <laughs> that's good. Help me be a better parent of 14-month-old twins. Anyway, so that's that. Great show. Really great show. All righty, and now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Oh, I love it. We switched it out. Our new stupid cancer rap, courtesy of Herbalist. Goodbye, love boat. All right. You've been a friend for four years. (laughs) That's tonight's show, folks. That's our 191st broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. I would like to personally thank our in-studio guests, Mr. James Manning and our intern, Grace McDermott, and our live guests, Amanda Freeman, Julie Clark. All right, everybody, next week's show, perfect for the July 4th weekend, Tanning, Skin Cancer, and Melanoma with Jennifer Stein, MD. She's Associate Director of Pigmented Lesion Services, Department of Dermatology at NYU, and Samantha Guild, who's a bereaved young adult sibling and national patient advocate at AIM at Melanoma, and in our Survivor Spotlight, Juliana Carvat, who is a young adult survivor of melanoma. If you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget, folks, they are all free on iTunes at any time by going to itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime, once again, at stupidcancershow.com. All right, remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer, live from the chemo deck. On behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself, and our whole team here at I2I, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time. Go to bed, Kenny.